hello. How are you? Hello, I'm very well, thank you. How are you? Yeah, I'm very well, thank you. And really pleased to welcome our listeners for joining us for what is the season one finale. Um, but I'll Beth, I'll Beth, I'll tell you why I'm doing so well. I've got a few reasons. The one, it's a beautiful day and I live by the sea. And it's always a good thing to live by the sea on a beautiful day. And two, I had my second COVID vaccination today. So I am very grateful to everyone who's made that happen. And third, it is one week today that the Boundary Commission for England, and God willing also the Boundary Commissions for Northern Ireland, Wales and Scotland, will be releasing the first draft of their constituency proposals for the next general election. And that's hours of quality reading material that I know is only a week away and I'm very excited about it. (laughs) Wow. I mean, I really don't quite know how to follow that. I'm not going to lie. Um, but I, I'm, I've also got my vaccine on Friday. Perhaps I'll, I'll stick with that one. I've got my vac- my first vaccine on Friday. And um, yeah, I'd say I'm looking forward to it. I feel like that's, I mean, I guess I kind of am. Like, I think it, it's the relief, isn't it, of, of knowing that you've done what you can do to be a part of sorting all this out. And um, yeah, so also leaning in, it's half term here. Is it half term for you? Um, so we're, yeah. We're in that kind of fun childcare juggle thing that happens in hard times (laughs) where life doesn't quite stop enough. Um, And even if, uh, yeah, one of you is theoretically doing the childcare, inevitably they sort of crash into the other person's study. And um, it's the challenge of working from home in these times. And yes, so we're a bit back there this week, but... um, yeah, it's been it's it's beautiful day and the weather is so nice. And which has been really interesting. We've we've actually been seeing people in real life again and it's so nice, isn't it? It's so exciting. But it's exhausting. Like I haven't realised how much I've become used to screens until suddenly you do spend time with other people. And I think with the kids I've I I'm obviously monitoring them all the time, like how are they coping with suddenly being in groups of people they haven't seen for ages. Um but then thinking Actually, I, I, I'm monitoring the kids, but really it's for me as well. Like I need to go an introvert yeah. for a while. <laughs> so, yeah, it's good. It's good to be back in the real world, though. Definitely. And uh, so as I said a, a few minutes ago, this is the finale for season one, our inaugural season for Something to Declare. And uh, really grateful to all seven of our guests who were willing to come and be interviewed and be part of it without having listened to it before, any idea really what it was about, and uh, very grateful for their trust uh, in us, as well as the wonderful contributions uh, they made. And we're already uh, planning season two. We are. It's going to be dropping into your um, podcast subscribing inbox um, somewhere around September. Um, So, um, yeah, it's really good that we... Um, well, we've got a huge, huge list of people, haven't we? We have so many people we want to interview that we, we could be here for about 10 years <laughs> already. Um, Easily. Easily. Which is good. It's a good thing. This is a good thing about Baptist life. Um, but we're um, we're thinking that, you know, if this carries on working out, that we'll kind of do um, several series of kind of seven or eight episodes, um, uh, kind of like in kind of like, termly termly events so there'll be kind of three a year um which hopefully gives us time to get some more interviews under our belt and um have a bit of a recharge and um yeah um hopefully get some better chat because i think 
Um, I don't know about you, David, but I feel I've seen I've seen a lot of you. <laughs> and I wonder if we get repetitive, like our Barbara Brown Taylor quotes of the day or whatever. <laughs> so we'll have to come and think of some new things to talk about. But um, no, it's been really, really, really good. I've enjoyed it a lot. Have you, do you feel like reflecting back on it, how would you say, what would be your thoughts or reflections on on hosting a podcast? Well, the very first thing I would say is how important it is to have somebody doing the the tech stuff who really knows what they're doing. And um, I'm very grateful to Harry, who's been our sort of sound engineer, who sorted things out far better than I would ever have been able to learn how to do. So very grateful for that. Um, I've really enjoyed it. I, I, I'm a podcast fan generally, um, but I think there is something intimate about the medium that I really enjoy being part of. Uh, and I find that listening to them as well, there's a connection that develops in a way that I don't think you quite get through through TV and, and other things. And then one of my other reflections, I really enjoy sort of hosting and asking questions and listening uh, to people's stories. And I feel like that connects for me with with part of my my calling, even to go back to what we were talking about at the end of last week. Um, I, I see being the host of our church community here almost as my primary role above and beyond anything else that I do and don't do um and so that I guess it connects with me in that way as well it is quite vulnerable sharing your own thoughts and then putting them out into the world on a regular basis I can hold myself together for 10 minutes uh you know and say something I know won't upset anybody anywhere uh I don't think that's possible when you're talking regularly um so that's felt quite a vulnerable thing to do. But I think all the good stuff happens with a, a degree of vulnerability. So hopefully this falls towards that category. But uh, what about you? Yeah, I, I want to echo that vulnerability. I think partly because we know each other so well. We've had so much of the rest of life going on in the background that we might have chatted about before we get into the bit where we invite um, a recording robot called Craig to join us. Um, and it says we're not recording. And um, and uh, before Craig arrives, um, we've just been we've been chatting about things. Um, Harry um, sits and, <laughs> and very patiently listens to to kind of all the other things that are going on about how kids are and what else is going on in the life of church or the world. And and I think um, I'm always aware that because I know you so well that I could just say anything, and I wouldn't probably realise until later that actually I've said something that oh did I say that right or how's how's that going to be heard and and I often do because I am that person that gets a vulnerability hangover I think oh I wonder what I wonder what that was like so I, I do always make the uh, make a routine of listening to it on a Friday when when we when it goes out because um it's my way of just kind of listening to what I actually said not just what I think I may have said by that point um in the week uh, yeah so it's definitely a very vulnerable thing it's a bit like also uh leading worship and preaching I think in the the kind of the routine of it because obviously we've been we've been doing this in a bit of a, a rhythm and um you have you know you have to have something to to go so kind of depending whatever is going on you still got to kind of have that level of like we've got life together and there's something here and I'm sure like if I you know I chop my arm off or something you'd, you'd have it you do it on your own it'd be fine but it would be a very different thing and I think um yeah it's, it's a bit like it's the same sort of vulnerability I think I feel about those sorts of leading worships and preaching regularly where you're really putting yourself out there in a particular way um 
that's interesting you saying you thought it was a bit different but I think for me that's really the connecting place um yeah is that kind of this is this is who I am and um more bits of me are going to slip out than I realize and um yeah (laughs) yes yes um yeah I'm not sure one ever gets totally used to that do you um I don't know maybe maybe you do I I've always said that the moment I stop one feeling that sense of anticipation um when I go to lead a service or or preach or anything is the moment I need to stop doing it I think um if you don't have a sense of there's something else going on here um about you then um well, for me anyway, that's the moment where I know I need to stop. Uh, but it hasn't come yet. So uh, we look forward to season two going out there in September. And uh, look, got some excellent guests lined up and uh, a few more still to sort out as well. Yeah, so say yes if we ask you, please. <laughs> <laughs> oh, please, please do. So, David, uh, speaking of guests, who have we got today? Well, Beth, today we have uh, the Reverend John Good, and John is uh, pioneering uh, a new work down in Hamworthy in Poole in Dorset. Um, and John is uh, a great guy and someone who I really value and appreciate. Glad to share a denomination with him. And uh, John and I met uh, at Spurgeon's College, where we began our training at a, a similar time. And John is one of these wonderful people who has the capacity to combine connecting well with people who don't go to church, being very um, engaged and uh, wonderfully, uh, I was going to say normal, but that sounds derogatory. I don't mean it like that. As in, he could sit in a room full of people who weren't Christians and that's kind of okay. But at the same time, is also incredibly uh, clever and capable and thoughtful. And to have someone so gifted at engaging culturally and being relevant and at the same time to have such a brilliant brain uh, just makes him such a gift. And uh, I'm really glad that he uh, was able to come be part of the podcast. Hello, John. Hello, hello. How are you doing? I'm fine. I'm fine. How are you? I'm all right, thanks, mate. It's uh, it's raining outside, which always makes me a little bit uh, more miserable. But in general, I'm good. Thank you so much for uh, being part of the podcast today. It's really uh, always good to talk with you, and especially good to uh, have you as part of what we're doing. Um, John, I wonder if you might begin by telling us a little bit about uh, where you are. And I don't mean like, you know, in the living room or whatever, although if you want to tell us about that, that's fine. But uh, where you're living and what it is that you're up to. Yeah, no worries. Um, Well, me and my wife and my two boys, we live in Poole. And um, we've been here now since 2018. And uh, I am uh, a Baptist pioneer minister, so uh, I'm attempting to start something brand new on uh, a housing estate uh, in Hamworthy. Um, And I'm just trying to get my head around what that is and what it means. Okay, so there wasn't anything in Hamworthy before, it was just sort of a from scratch thing? Well, no, there are Christian. There are other Christians operating in the area. There's uh, a great Anglican church just up the road, um, and so I guess for me, 
you know, our approach has been to move in and to listen to God speaking through both the, the people who live in the area and also the other Christians that, that live here as well. So, yeah, we, we've been really keen to, to, to try and do that. And has the process of, of doing that been what you expected so far? I know, so what is it, three years this year? Um, and the last year of that has obviously been disruptive with the, with the pandemic. But has the whole adventure been the sort of thing you thought it was going to be? Um, I, I didn't know what it was going to be like, to be honest. Uh, I was an associate pastor up in Luton. Um, and, uh, and there I was, uh, I started off in Luton as their youth worker, and then I moved to be their associate uh, pastor, uh, responsible for missional communities. So trying to develop missional communities within the life of the church. Uh, and then when the call came to uh, that, there was this new housing estate um, down in Hamworthy. Uh, and would I like to go and kind of roll up my sleeves and uh, and and start something here? Um, I think I expected it to go fairly quickly and for the move to go fairly promptly. Um, but actually, the whole process has been an awful lot slower than uh, than I'd uh, expected. Uh, it took it took a long time. Um, the story of how it happened is that uh, there's an old Baptist church in um, in Paul called Hill Street. They're the oldest church in Paul and they closed their doors um, in 2000. And yeah, I think it was 2018. Uh, but these guys, you know, they were an elderly congregation, but in their lifetime, they planted two other Baptist congregations that still meet today. They planted out... Um, uh, one of the significant homelessness ministries, uh, Roots to Roots, was uh, was born from these guys. Uh, and back in the 80s, I think it was, they'd had a prophetic word to reach into Hamworthy and they never acted on it. And they always felt a slight sense of disappointment with themselves that they didn't they hadn't done that. And so with their dying breath, they sort of said, look, let's separate the manse from the church and the proceeds of the manse can go towards somebody who uh, who is living in Hamworthy. And so when we came in 2018, uh, the house hadn't quite gone on the market yet. Uh, and I think I was uh, we were expecting, you know, to be perhaps in, in the manse, the Hill Street manse, for maybe a couple of months at the back end of the sale kind of thing. And then, you know, to move straight into Hamworthy. But actually, it, it did take a, a lot longer than that. It took us uh, probably a year, I think, before we were actually in the uh, <clears throat> in the house. <clears throat> And I think that that meant that quite often starting, you know, starting stuff from scratch uh, in an area where you haven't got a building and that kind of thing. It just meant that I was doing an awful lot of lurking for the first year. <laughs> you know what I mean? I was like, you know, I can remember vividly being down in the library uh, and I'd been reading a book on, you know, the history of Hamworthy because that's what you've got to do, isn't it? You've got to get your context in. Um, and um, and I've been skimming this book and I thought, right, yeah, I'm done now. So I decided I'm going to have a chat with the librarian about my little plans for, you know, for what's going to happen here. So I chatted with this librarian and she could not get her head around what I was doing at all. And by the end of the conversation, I was I just thought to myself, oh, my word, I just feel so awkward and so weird uh, having said this. But it also wasn't time to leave. I had absolutely nothing to do, both in Hamworthy or back at home. There was there was nothing else I could have done. So I just I kind of awkwardly went back, chose another book and just started reading again. <laughs> and so I think I think that's so I think relationally as well as physically, you know, it's taken an awful lot longer to work out uh, people and expectations and how to communicate what I'm trying to do here and 
uh, and all those kind of things. Um, yeah, it's probably been harder than I thought as well. I think, you know, coming to actually for me, like I said, I, I, I was a pastor and coming to terms with not being a pastor of a church anymore has taken me like quite, quite some time to adjust to. So I'm, um, yeah, I, I, I have felt, you know, the loss of other people and a leadership team to do decisions with. And um, yeah, we have felt lonely at times. So that, that those kind of things, you know, have been different. But also I think the experience has been far more freeing and far more creative than uh, I ever thought it would, would do. I think to have the freedom suddenly, you know, it's things like your passions and your hobbies can come to the forefront in ministry uh, and become mission fields where um, whereas previously they were just my passions and my hobbies. So I think um, God kind of has a way of highlighting and spotlighting those things when, um, yeah, when you're allowed to kind of have the freedom to pray into them, I guess. And, uh, tell us a bit about the water sports library. <laughs> well, the water sports library well, when we moved, we got chatting with all kinds of people. And one of the things that came out was that, um, that I mean, Paul, where we are in Hamworth is surrounded by three sides by, by water. And so, um, uh, so water is kind of people, there's a large proportion of people here who use water for business, uh, but there's also a large number of people, obviously, who have moved here for leisure and well-being and all the rest of it. And so it was a massive factor. And what we noticed when we got chatting with people is that there was a vast amount of people with a spare boat, like, you know, outside their door or a spare paddleboard in their garage or surfboards, wetsuits, you know, you name it. It's in people's garages. It's in their lockups and that kind of thing. So uh, but we were also chatting with people um, who really can't afford to access, you know, the water that's on their back garden. You know, the pe people who were saying to us, we, you know, we, we can't rent because it's too expensive and we can't buy decent quality gear. And so what do you do with that? And I'm a big surfer. You know, I've surfed since I was like 18, 19. And the way I got going was, you know, my youth leaders from my church took me out and uh, uh, and they got me going and I, they dressed me up in like two wetsuits, you know, and the holes from one wetsuit <laughs> and I pulled out the holes in the other wetsuit. And, um, and I just thought, you know, people should share the gear that they've got. It's better for the environment. It's, you know, financially, it equalizes people. So um, I was really inspired and had followed the progress of the Edinburgh Tool Library for ages. Okay. Um, these guys are brilliant. And they're sort of saying the same thing with tools. Why does everybody need their own, um, their own power drills, you know, their own lawnmowers, whatever? Can't we just share things a bit more? And so over time, they now have an inventory of, you know, I don't know, I think it's like 3000 tools or something spread across three locations. And uh, and you can sign up uh, for access to this library um, even by donating tools if you can't afford the membership. So they make it really accessible. And they also off the back of it, they're doing all sorts of amazing community events, basic woodworking skills, and they're helping people into apprenticeships and they're doing people their um creating uh, like ramps for disabled access into shops you know there was this kind of it ticked a load of boxes for me and so I kind of just thought oh I'd love to have a stab at like a water sports library being a surf myself um, I just kind of thought wouldn't it be great to uh, yeah to collect as much gear as I possibly could uh, and try and get people to to share their gear with the people who can't you know and 
obviously from a, Chris, a Christian perspective, there was a, a heap of questions that I had uh, regarding God and the water, um, well-being, um, all those uh, kind of things. I had questions around um, sustainable ministry. How do we financially sustain ministry into the future? And I've got a personal little question around that. Um, you know, and so there was a bunch of stuff that I tried to gather together. So we opened the doors last year, uh, May time, when Boris, good old Boris, said that we were allowed out um, to exercise as long as we wanted with our families. Um, we opened then, and by the end of the season, we found ourselves with 170 members. So, uh, and obviously, you know, people are borrowing fairly regularly, so you get to know them, you chat about their adventures on the water, that kind of thing. Um, and off the back of it, we were able to do, um, we weren't able to do much uh, because of COVID, but um, we were able to slip in one retreat. So I did a day long retreat where we took six people out on the water. Nice. So what, what does a, a day retreat on the water involve? <laughs> well, um, well, this, I mean, this one, um, we just took a theme that would resonate. We hoped it would resonate with people, which was peace in the middle of disruption. Um, and I, we sort of divided it into two sessions. We paddled over to a place called Arn, which took us about um, half hour or so. Uh, I hadn't scoped out the place properly. Uh, and so there was a lady there waiting to, uh, to kick us off the beach as soon as we'd arrived. But she, she heard what we were doing and, uh, and let us stay for a little while. And then, the, and then we did two sessions. So the first session was, uh, was all about um, a vision for peace. And I was asking people whether they had a vision or a hope for what peace might look like in their life. And most people said that they, they didn't. And they, you know, really people thought about peace uh, in terms of uh, feeling peaceful, I guess, was the, was the main thing. So we were able to talk about shalom uh, and, the, you know, a biblical vision for what does it mean for, you know, for God to put all the pieces into the right order and where they should be. And then after lunch, we had a bit of lunch. And then after that, we did, um, you know, centering prayer. So we did a centering prayer exercise where I asked everybody just to focus on one word, which might describe God uh, for them and to let their mind do whatever it needs to do whilst they're bobbing about on the, uh, on the harbour. And actually people came back with really powerful words and imagery that, that surrounded it, um, whether they were Christians or not. Um, so I went home absolutely buzzing actually after that. And, um, and I think that will, that little pilot will form uh, a bit of a shape as to what we do this year. So what are, what are some of your hopes for the, the year ahead then as things start opening up? I would do some more, more retreat days, grow the library. And, and in terms of engaging with, with Hamworthy, what are, what are some of the things you're looking forward to doing or hoping to do? Yeah, I think, um, the thing that I'm passionate about is, is missional community is, is that, you know, that whole idea of finding out where God is at work and helping not only to join in with it yourself, but what does it look like to help other people to join in with it too? So if you're asking me about my hopes for the future, I think for the water sports library, it would be to gather a community of, uh, of water enthusiasts who could potentially discover God on the water and form a meaningful worshipping community uh, around it that would be incredible and then I think you know with the area you know um, part of my remit is all about uh, this new build that I live on um, and uh, and I think with them I think it's just to, to grow uh, to grow relationships here 
to um yeah i i would hope for some kind of uh, community to develop out of our neighbors and our friendship groups and it's a much more organic thing i think in the neighborhood it's much more about us just living here opening our doors having breakfasts with people covid stopped us doing all of those kind of things but um yeah, I would really hope for deep relationships. And that I'd hope, I hope actually that the, the community, as more houses are built on the community, that, that together we would begin to shape, to do a bit of place shaping, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Um, so I think, yeah, that would be really exciting for me if we were part of that. So you talked about um, people finding God on the water. Um, I know, I mean, I know being at the beach, being outdoors, is uh, an important thing uh, for you. Uh, I'm yeah. more of a comfortable chair and a fireplace for myself. But um, <laughs> how? Talk to you a little bit about how that connects with your faith. What? Why? How does the outside of the water in particular help you to connect? With yeah. Well, um, in, in, in all kinds of ways, I think uh, I have always been. I have always loved the water uh, ever since I learned how to swim and. Like I said, I started surfing when I was in my late teens with my youth leaders. And um, so, this is going to sound so cheesy and cliche, <laughs> but there was there was no other feeling that I felt after surfing a wave. I, I just kind of it is it's the closest thing, you know, that, that I can think of to walking on water itself. And it doesn't feel like the physics should work. And the water always looks spectacular, even if it's a puddle grey or a, a beautiful sunset pink or whatever it is. So for me personally, it's always been a place of encounter and worship. I've always felt that, um, that uh, yeah, that the water, that I worship God more easily actually uh, when I'm surfing than I do probably inside a church um, using, using church congregational music. So I think that's a personal experience and it's, it made me think there's all kinds of themes I think that come out of it as well to do with life and death, risk, adventure, peace, all of those kind of things. But then also, you know, it makes like, you know, I don't, I don't know how often you think about water, Dave, but, um, <laughs> but, but I've been reading a little bit around the science of water and water is like, the, it's like the most bizarre substance. Like it's re, it's like a really weird thing. So, so very basic things like water expands when it freezes, you know, the whole like stick a champagne bottle in your freezer and you'll have trouble in the morning kind of thing. Um, th that process, I, I didn't realise this, but that process was what broke down rocks over millions of years to give us the soil that we walk on now. Do you know what I mean? And so this tiny little an anomaly about water makes it extraordinary, I, I think. And, and the, you know, how water is made is like it's like the process of, of dying stars mixed with the hydrogen that's already around in the universe and so you know you and i are 70 percent stardust and there's out there there are stars right now you know producing vast vast quantities of water into the universe and so just reading about it i think has inspired me to think about it more seriously and, and try and explore some of the theological connections and then I'd also I'd also probably say, you know, um, you know, that, you know, that Jacob's story, you know, when he's, you know, when he's um, he's lying down and he uh, he's in a place where he shouldn't be. And he's done stuff that he shouldn't he shouldn't have. And he's the man that he shouldn't be. <laughs> and um, 
and he and he he has the escalator dream with the angels ascending and descending then he wakes up and you know and he says god was in this place and i i was not aware of it i think there are heaps of ways uh, in which water acts as that kind of dream you know so the whole i kind of think that health and well-being mental health as well as physical health i think um there's increasing evidence for for the power and the significance of just getting outside and um uh, and what what it can do to you so the heal i guess the healing aspect of water as a kind of theological connection for me i think is massive and then like i mentioned before the whole that that you could be you could be chilling out on your panel board you could be out on the ocean just minding your own business and it would only take two minutes of being underneath that water for you for for something to change from the fullness of life to a complete absence of life and um and that for me is is an extraordinary kind of you know feeling and again that connection between the cradle of life and death is really evident in the bible you know the bible picks up on that so sorry ma'am i'm waffling on no it's great it's really really interesting thank you I can so see how the context of where you guys are now um, reacts with your skills and passions and interests to create potentially a really life-giving uh, way of being in the world. And, and I love that. Um, I wonder if I might ask a question about, so you're in kind of, I never quite know the right language to use, kind of, established church and heritage church it always feels quite loaded to it but but you're in a, a more standard church setting and what was it that enabled you to to take the risk really isn't it i mean you're going from something that's fairly solid fairly settled i know established church life has its challenges um but to go to something where you can't hide behind anybody else you know it's quite a vulnerable thing to do yeah 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 um, and, and that vulnerability also comes from, well, just the fact that you being you inherently shapes what you're doing in yeah. a way that it doesn't necessarily in a in a context where you're following on from someone who's done it before, who's done it before, who's done it before. I just wonder, how do you? Is that a pressure you you feel, or does it not really enter your mind? I just I'm curious around. around that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I'm touching on something there, Dave. Um, yeah, I, I, I do feel like it. It, uh, it has been more exposing and more vulnerable than uh, than previous because I think that there are many skills that you can learn. You know, you can learn to preach, I think, and you can learn to lead worship. Um, but there are some. There are so, every. It feels to me like every little bit, every new day, really, is a new experience, and so you're not quite sure what's around the corner um but at the same time i mean you asked what drove what drove me there i, I think necessity I, I think i just i think i just had to do it I, I think um i um i i i just i really believe that the, the church I, i'm a big believer in church i should tell you that like you know church in the widest sense of the word i am pro church and I, but I really believe that it's it's much it can be much more flexible, and much more innovative, and um, you know, and there's a way to go. But I just kind of I, 
I think I saw an inkling of it and I was just like, I've just, I've just got to push the door. I've just got to see what, maybe part of it was about seeing what I, what I can do in with God, you know, or what, well, more likely what God can do with me. Um, but I would never know. You, you can't know what it's like in theory. You can't, you can't go, hmm, well, I think I, I've learned now, you know, the skills that I need. You just got to put yourself in that position and then, and take it from there. And, but I know me, I wouldn't, I'm not an expert and it's been a really hard journey, but, uh, but it, one that I have really enjoyed so far. So you've been part of churches in Southampton and Croydon and Newton and now somewhere in Poole. They're all very different in a variety of ways, um, but all connected to the Baptist movement. Come on, the Baptists. What yes. makes you a Baptist, John? Um, oh, mate. Uh, they call me John the Baptist down here. Yeah. <laughs> they curse what they call me. The old Anglicans. Um, what makes me a Baptist? The Baptists took me in, Dave. I mean, they, they took me in. When I started, they, you know, and I know this is the story, other people have said this, but um, I was 17 years old. I was a skateboarder. My passion was skateboarding. Uh, I met I met a lovely lady. You might have heard of her called Jackie Story, mm-hmm. and uh, and I, I can't remember where we met, uh, but I said to her, uh, Jackie, do you know that your church? They're at Shirley Warren Baptist Church or Action Church now. Uh, Shirley Warren Action Church. It's in the middle of an estate, and it's got a skate park there. Jackie, what are you doing for the skateboarders in your area, kind of thing? And then I started going on a Friday night. What you should do is this, and you could have this and drinks, and you could do you know a little cafe for. I'm not sure it could be funded. Blah blah blah. And so I think at 17, somewhere around 17, she kind of, I think, I think Jackie knew exactly what she was doing. Uh, <laughs> she goes, John, why don't you, um, why don't you come to an elders meeting and, uh, and give us just some ideas about what, you know, perhaps what we could do. And then, so I gave my, I thought, right, yeah, 17, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll get in there. I'll do my thing. Um, and then, so I went into the meeting and, um, and I gave them my presentation, which I think they enjoyed. Uh, Sean Blackman was the pastor there at the time. And, um, uh, and he said, look, John, we'd love to work with you on this. Uh, you're already, you know, a skateboarder doing this kind of thing. And then, uh, and then after that, that it, he was like, but the one thing is you're not going to parachute in and out of this area. If you're going to, if you're going to become part of this church, then you're going to become part of this area and this community. And I think it was that statement that first introduced me really to incarnational ministry. Uh, and then also what came along with that was, was Baptist ministry. Uh, and that, that little church was responsible. I think they sent five people into ministry in the space of, you know, 10 years. Um, and, uh, and I was very grateful for it. Um, but obviously not only that, I mean, you know, I'm a Baptist by conviction, Dave, I, I'm, um, I believe in the free church, free state, um, I believe in believers baptism and um, perhaps that the, the thing that stands out most for me about being a Baptist is, is the priesthood of all believers. You know, I really, I really believe in the power of people taking personal responsibility for, um, for that sacred duty of pointing people towards God and, and being, being like a mediator and an intercessor and, and performing the, the duties of, of, of the priests, you know, so we met, John, uh, well, as you know, I guess I'm telling the people listening, uh, you, uh, we met at Spurgeon. We did. Our first week, 2005. 
Yeah. Uh, me there, me sitting at the back corner trying to hide, you sitting near the front with your hand up. No. And um, I'm sure that's not quite right, but it's how it goes in my head. Yeah, um, sure. And I do really resonate with what you were saying earlier about the theory of what was then church planting and evangelism track that we were both on. Um, and there comes a point where you've just got to do it. And all the modules in the world are very helpful, but actually. Yeah. Um, but it strikes me that 2005, when we started all of that, is quite a long time ago, particularly for ministry that is uh, as context-related. I mean, all ministry should be, but the reality is not all ministry is, um, I would suggest. But for, I just, how much has the land shifted you know, in, in 16 years? Do you think we're dealing with something that's very different? From when we started or is that overdone and it's not that different I and mean, what, what's your take on from where we were then to where we are now how different is it yeah <clears throat> i mean i should probably caveat anything i say by by saying that I, I don't have a bird's eye picture of you know of the church at large um but I think the th <clears throat> one of the things that's, that has stuck with me is I've had two conversations with two regional ministers, uh, Baptist ministers, who, who talk about thirds. And they basically said, both of them said the same thing. They said that a third of our Baptist churches are growing. A third of them are, are sort of s staying fairly stable. And a third of them are in decline. And I think, Dave, I, I think one of the, the defining features of, like, of, my, of my own ministry and my own walk with Jesus, my own experience of Christianity, has actually been massive church decline. Mm. I should be upfront and, and honest about it. And I think we haven't, the decade of evangelism came and went, and now we're into fresh expressions and we're into missional communities and we're into pioneering and all the rest of it. Um, but across the board, and I don't think it's just the Baptist church, we, we are still seeing huge amounts of people leave the church. And, um, and that, I mean, that makes me, on one hand, quite sad, quite nervous, quite worried. But on the other hand, you know, I've got an absolute conviction that, you know, that the, the church is held by God. It's not held by us. Um, and I've had, I've got more conviction than I ever have done before that God reaches out into every aspect of societal life, health and well-being and politics, business and the arts. And uh, and in the, the thing that counteracts what I've said about church decline is that I, I also think that people are getting far more creative than they ever were. Um, it, I don't think the sheer variety of um, of expressions of church was around, perhaps when yeah. uh, when we were training, um, and the nuance as well. The, the you know, there's variations of Mary messy church. There's variations of like outdoor church, um, which there's you know, there's quite a catalogue of those kind of things. But also, I think we we are seeing more pioneering structures come about as well, new ways of doing church leadership, which enable different types of people to take the reins. And I think that's massively, massively encouraging. So, yeah, that would probably be what I'd say about uh, about the landscape as mm. far as I know about it. 
And John, we finish all of our chats on the podcast by asking people two questions, same questions for everybody. And the first of those is, if you had one thing to declare to the union <laughs> at this moment, what would it be? Well, oh, Dave, what, what, what question? Um, <clears throat> if I, think, I think I would want to say to the union, look, uh, churches are dying to live. That's, that's what I'd probably want to say. I'd want to say that there are churches which need to have the doors shut. They need to close. They need to finish and wrap up. Uh, so that new life can be breathed into new things and um and i would you know like i've said my own story with hill street is a church that that needed to close its doors uh, and i am i feel like i am standing on their legacy as we move into you know the future but i i appreciate that people's aunties and people's great grandmas were baptized and married in these places and that there's masses of history in in churches but i um we talk about the baptists having a heritage of being risk takers and you know and this kind of um yeah just i don't know troublemakers and vagabonds but i don't i don't see it dave I uh, I see, um, and actually Jeff Carmer on his podcast talked an awful lot about people being activists, but I see an awful lot of reflectors and a, a lot of uh, contemplators and a lot of pastoral work being done in the church. But I think risk should be embraced, and I think it should be embraced at all levels of church life. And I think if churches needed needs to be needs to be shut, um, then that should happen. Uh, and I think that we we need to find innovative ways of investing money uh, for the future of church. Mm. Okay. And John, if you think that Baptists have one thing to declare to the world, what would it be? Yeah, I had, to, I had a bit of a think about this. And my, I, think my, um, I think my answer would be that um, the Baptist church is built for the age of creators. I think way back when, you know, you, you talked about back in college, I think it's much more about uh, participation uh, whereas now I think everybody is being encouraged to start a business. You know, it's easier than ever before to start a business, write a blog, publish a book, um, you know, and the tools are getting more and more simple to be able to do that. The, the, the networks are increasing, the prices are lowering that, you know, there's all kinds of innovative technology helping people to form community. Um, and I think that the Baptist church should be able to say to the world, if you join, uh, if you join a Baptist church, we will be able and willing to let you develop your skills in the area uh, that you know best in, in, uh, in society. Um, you know, imagine, I think it probably would, might take a little bit of a shift in, in how we do pastoring and that kind of thing. But I think that's a real boast of the Baptist church is, is its uh, individuality and it, it, it not only that, it, it can, um, I think it could be in a, a real enabling movement for, for people, for creators. John, thank you so much for giving us some time to come and chat today. Really appreciate it. Mate, really, uh, yeah, well, thank you for, for the invite. Much appreciated. And uh, yeah, look forward to the next time I see you, Dave. So, Beth, that was John. 
Uh, what strikes you from listening to what John had to say? Well, I've got I've got a huge list of things because so many thoughts from what he what he shared with us, and um, it was such an interesting interview. I think um, I think the first thing I think picking up on the theme that we were kind of talking about at the beginning was his conversation around awkwardness of the awkwardness and vulnerability of of what he was doing. Um, and he talked around, talked about lurking around the library, didn't he? As as his kind of story and, and kind of, um, yes. I I just thought that was um, thought it was brilliantly honest. Um, and I wonder how much um, certainly in those initial stages of ministry where you are still developing relationships, and I think that's true whether you're a pioneer in quotation marks or whether you're kind of um, in an in inherited model of church or whatever the language we want to use might be. Um, that I think um, there is a bit of lurking that has to begin a new stage of ministry and um, where you kind of work out what, what you're about. And I think that vulnerability is, um, yeah, it's really interesting to reflect on on how that makes you a bit awkward. I remember um, a minister uh, who was my senior pastor at one point saying, um, oh, um, you're always inexperienced at the thing you're not experienced in, like in any new place, you are always going to be inexperienced. It doesn't matter how much experience you've got before, because you're not experienced being there in that place. I thought it was a really um, useful piece of advice, but I was, yeah, I was, I was struck by, um, to use one of my phrases, uh, that, that really honest reflection about feeling a bit awkward and yeah so clear isn't it that god seems to work through us when that awkwardness happens yeah i mean uh, i'm sure there's already a book out there called lurking for jesus somewhere um but i think there is a sense in which in those moments where you're very deliberately you're not the host you're not in charge it's not your space where you are new and you are vulnerable and you are the guest, um, I think is so uh, important. And I think is where so much good stuff happens, and, which chimed with a lot of what John was then saying about uh, sort of Christendom stuff. And, and I know we chatted a bit about that before we started today. And I loved the story of the church in Poole, um, you know wanting sort of their death to be something that gives life and then using the proceeds from that house to invest in this new i mean it wouldn't be possible without that and i think that's such a wonderfully gracious and um kingdom orientated thing to do for that that church in in paul but the world the world has changed and uh, the i remember going to baptist assembly in brighton comes it must be a long time ago now um and and the whole theme was about on the margins um, and just trying to to unpick that and, and understand what it meant. I mean, we often talk about being marginalised in terms of groups that suffer particular injustices and oppressions, which is right. But I think there's also a sense in which the church as a whole and even more the not the established church church getting pushed to the, the margins of society and culture. And although that's something that we could be incredibly scared of. I think it's potentially also very liberating as well. But I don't know, did that, any, that come up for you? Uh, ab- absolutely. I think um, his conversation about having kind of witnessed church decline over the last 15 years. And for me, um, I suppose I've grown up 
only ever in this post Christendom world. Like I, I can't remember shops ever being closed on a Sunday, and that always seems to be the kind of the litmus test of Christendom, doesn't it? Um, I don't remember that. That's never been a thing for me. Um, and so I don't know why everybody's got a bit of a being their bonnet about it. Only that I can imagine that if you did go to church with everybody else in your community and it was full of loads of people of the same peer group as you, that that would feel really secure, I guess. But for me, I guess the the theology I have read and the things I have reflected on have often been around actually Christendom having been not often a positive thing, but actually a force that has been colonial and about, um, yeah, kind of propagating some severe injustice in the name of Christianity. And and actually, I kind of want to say, I want the church to decline from that. I, I want us to, if that's a power we gave ourselves that wasn't Jesus, then I want us to lose it because then we'll find out where the spirit is actually at work in the world. And I do think um, the spirit is far more at work in the world than I think we often remember, um, that we kind of think that Jesus is in our pocket and in our church congregations and we have this sort of duty to take Jesus out. Maybe Jesus is already there. <laughs> God's already at work in the world. And maybe we get to join in. And um I think yeah, so I think for me it's um I always I always find those church decline conversations so fascinating because I think I just starting from a different base here as my starting point. And I think if you are, it probably makes the whole conversation a lot a lot more different. Which actually it made me think about um he talked about being missional communities. And um, and I was, <laughs> as I was listening, I, I wrote a big question. because um, I, I was trying to take a couple of notes just so I could remember some stuff to sound like I, I knew what I was going to talk about at this point. But I've got instead of this really big question that says, in capital letters, what is the difference between church and missional community? Question mark, question mark. Because I, um, I'm pretty passionate as Baptists who don't come with, we need to have a bishop church um that actually surely the local church has always got to be a missional community i mean that has got to be what we are we are constituted by the local you know we reflect the local to do mission to the local i mean that i mean sure we're we're interdependent in that but i think if we're not a missional community then i guess kind of my question is what well what are we then um what is what else is church meant to be? Um, and I'm just I'm just thinking about this out loud. Um, having, you know, it's not that I haven't read enough of the pioneer ministry stuff along the way. It's just um, just reflecting again on it. Do I think we should be a dif- should do I think there should be a difference? I guess. Yeah, I mean, we have a lot less that binds us and keeps us away from being more explicitly sort of in the missional community end of things as churches i mean i guess that's made harder by being a charity and all the stuff that comes with that um but i don't think it's necessarily prohibitive i, I think so much of what we do is its roots in in the victorian era um and it's potentially i say again it's liberating if we we can get it right i really resonate with what you say about growing up in a sort of post christendom era um because i would share that and i but i wonder if that fear that's generated from that sort of loss of perceived christian influence actually 
undergirds a, a number of the issues that we talk about in church that are not aren't explicitly linked to that but you know whether it's well whatever it is so name the issues because we'll get lost in a cul-de-sac of whatever that is but i i think the, that fear is is what drives the um the concerns that people have about other things often and you trace the route back and it's just goes back to the world is slipping through our fingers and we're not in charge anymore and we don't like it um Whereas I think, you know, we're not in charge anymore. Hurrah. Uh, yeah, let's uh, get to grips with where we're supposed to be. Um, but it's hard if you're used to having something. Yeah. No, I mean, it must be it must be a huge thing to have lived through the last 80 years of church life. I, ca- I can't begin to process what that might be because I, I, I can't, I haven't lived it. Um, but I think what I... Um, I really reflect on is this idea that actually, you know, in the gospel, it seems to be that, um, you know, it's a seed dies in the ground, you know, it seems to be the place that growth begins. Yes. Um, and, and so whatever we talk about as growth, and we do love that uh, growth language so much. And I think sometimes this growth language we use in church life really is neoliberal uh, market economics, she says with her politics hat on for a minute, rather than kind of, um, actually the gospel kind of growth which seems to be something more organic and seasonal and rhythmic and and I think maybe um maybe maybe yeah this idea that he that that John said about churches dying to live and and I just I wonder what's God going to do through this season and actually maybe it's okay that things have to die in the ground so that new things can appear and maybe we need to die to some of that influence in society stuff. Maybe that's a really healthy thing. And then once we've died to it, we will discover something else. God is doing something else in us and through us and outside of us and beyond us. And um, yeah, that's it's, it's an easy thing to say, though, isn't it? Because um, it's an easy thing to say. But actually, when it comes to who pays what pay packet and all those kind of practical questions, it's a much harder thing to live with, isn't it? So, I, I you know, um, easy things to pontificate about, perhaps on a podcast, are much harder to live with in the, the yeah. world. <laughs> it's, I think it's um, it's Howard who, who says uh, that success is uh, a, an unchristian word. Um, I'm paraphrasing i'm sure that's not the exact wording um and i i feel like often we get that in ministry circles i I feel like we're very good at ministers conferences at assuring ourselves that you know it's okay if it's all going wrong and the numbers are going down and you know it's not about success but i i'm not sure leaders have done a great job in helping churches grasp that sometimes you have to make hard decisions or choose to do what you feel is right. And that's not going to lead to success. Um, I think that's very hard. And I think that's because we bought into a number of things, which I mean, yeah, I want churches to grow and flourish and thrive and plant new churches. And I think that all of that is excellent and good. And we should learn the lessons and do all the things and go to all the conferences. But we also need to be prepared to die on a cross. I mean, that's the gospel, right? Isn't it? That we, um, and you're you're right. I think that um, I think that you know we would say this in sort of, and we would call them church leadership conferences or something. We would talk about you know the importance of things like vulnerability and 
the importance of weakness and what God might do. Um, but I also think, you know, we use the language of leadership and that in itself is really telling because, um, you know, when, when Jesus talks about, uh, you know, the, the, that language of servant leadership that people don't mean in a particularly servantish kind of a way anymore. Um, and I think when Jesus talks about this stuff, right, he doesn't really use the language of leadership. We've kind of, that's management speak. We've kind of stuck on the gospel. <laughs> and I And I think maybe actually... It's about critiquing even some of those ideas that we have. Who even leads us? You know, we're Baptists. Church meeting leads us, which means, you know, hopefully, you know, your prophetic voice is going to be the 14-year-old or the um, the person who really struggles to read the minutes but has the right question or... Um, just you know you know how it works it's always it's always the person isn't it that you're not expecting it to be for some reason that the Holy Spirit decides to be the vehicle of change in your community that week um yeah which is what I loved in John's thing about him being invited along I come talk to the elders about that because it was just like yes yes that's right isn't it we I do think teenagers are a particular gift of God to the world I think um yeah, they're not necessarily particularly gifted yeah. of God to the, the parents of the donations, but I think they are to the church. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, we need, yeah, we need those sorts of, those sorts of voices and challenge and different thinking. I work on the principle that there is at least one prophetic moment, one prophetic utterance in every church members meeting. And if I if I'm not clear where it was, I need to go back and pay more attention to what's just happened, um, because often it comes in, as you say, places where you wouldn't look for it or expect. And sometimes it's not obvious. Sometimes it doesn't come and smack you around the face, you know, in a really clear way. Um, I love church meetings. I mean, I don't want to deviate into this uh, either particularly, but I, I just think they're wonderful things. I may have said that on another episode already. And um, one of the other things I, I just wanted to to say out loud, I guess, in response to interviewing John and hearing about the work he's doing is how wonderfully big hearted his approach to it is. And I think this does come from being willing to go into the library and, and be the guest as well. But I, I think that big heartedness is at the core of so much that's good in terms of mission and ministry. And I mean, I think Chris Duffett wrote a book of that that name indeed, big heartedness. That was a theme of his presidential year. Um, but I think being able to live that, but also be in a situation where you're incredibly vulnerable, it'd be so easy when you're there without all the things and stability that people in local pastorate have. And I know there are issues. Lord knows we all have issues, those of us who are doing that, but actually it is more solid and stable than someone who's doing what john and his family are doing um and to maintain that big heartedness and generosity of spirit while still being that vulnerable um i think that's a, a work of god and uh, is in, not very easy to do and i think i guess you've got to have that sense of calling to it to make to make it work but i'm, I'm glad that we have people in our movement who are making it work i thought his um his description of core was so good it was like i just couldn't not <laughs> And I was, and uh, and I thought, yes, <laughs> yeah, absolutely, that's it, isn't it? I just could not like it, it's just everything. And also, I thought his reflection on hobbies um, and passions becoming the vehicle that God has used um, 
was also really um provocative as an idea um because i think um i mean i also want to say uh whoever's youth work is taking kids surfing like makes anything i've ever done with pizza just look like it's (laughs) just not really up to scratch because surfing is so much cooler but i think um i think this idea that kind of actually maybe maybe god uses those bits of ourselves as the vehicle for um for god partnering with us so much of the time and um uh, I'm, I'm reminded of um chariots of fire where they um uh, I'm, i can never remember the main protagonist's names so it's going to slightly undermine my um my now illustration but he as he, he's you know he goes and does all this running and his sister's really worried that he's meant to be going and becoming a missionary and and she's um she's like are you sure you're not being led astray effectively is the conversation and he says no because when i run um, i feel god's pleasure and I just think, actually, um, I wonder what the church would be, all of us would be, if we did a lot more of that pleasure. You know, where do we find God's pleasure and where do we really experience God's pleasure? And um, it's maybe in those spaces and places that God's trying to tell us about what we were created for and what God is hoping might be part of our purpose and our passion and it's not to say there won't be stuff that's incredibly painful and difficult but that's clearly the vehicle that um you know that in the chariots of fire story was the thing that was like okay well this is the reason the story gets told you know he goes and becomes a um a missionary kind of in the kind of footnotes at the end of the movie but like that's the thing that 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 meant his story got told his whole journey of faith got told to a huge audience um and i think yeah actually um what are the things that I could look at in my life and say that's that's the bit where I feel God's pleasure and therefore that's what I'm actually meant to be about it's a good question isn't it be thinking about that all week (laughs) it's a great question especially to uh people like you and me who as we discovered earlier in the season don't really have any hobbies so (laughs) there's a challenge in there too we have a lot of passions we might not have a that's lot of true. That's true. That's true. I would for that I have a lot of passions. Yeah. It's not quite the same thing as um, yeah. knitting or something. No. I'm, not, I'm not surfing. No. Uh, I think I have the balance. <laughs> Boundary Commission Church hasn't, uh, hasn't <laughs> taken off just yet, but I, I'll work on it. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, uh, I think you're giving the blessing uh, for... This. So for the final time this series, we thank the Order for Baptist Ministry for um, this material. Yeah, for letting us plagiarise it for the gospel. And um, we thank you too for uh, everybody who's who's listened and listened along all through the series. And um, yeah, for joining us as we witter about things that we've reflected on. But um, we're really, really grateful to our guests as well for sharing their hearts and their stories with us because... Um, They've been a gift and uh, we really sense from people's feedback that they've been a gift, not just to to David and myself, but to really to everybody um, who's listened in. So uh, thank you. Um, And so uh, let's pray ourselves out with this. Living God, enable us this day to be pilgrims and companions, committed to the way of Christ, faithful to the call of Christ, discerning the mind of Christ, offering the welcome of Christ growing in the likeness of Christ, engaging in the mission of Christ in the world 
that belongs to Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, see you all in September. See you soon. Bye. And then music to fade out. And that is season one, providing we don't need to redo anything, of course. But that is season one complete. Praise the Lord.